Friday of the weekend, we bring you up another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. And I want to take just a moment here to set the right mood. Because it is, it's a kind of a sad day. We're happy, yet we're sad. Because someone who uh, we chased for a long, long time. Because we heard about this little star that was glimmering in Illinois. And we chased her and chased her, and finally we got Jesse Harding to come to Nebraska. What made you do that? I was working in Wisconsin before I came here in between Illinois and being here. Right, right. And I just liked the feel of Nebraska, and this was an agriculture station. You didn't have to justify what we were doing as an ag team, so that was a major pull for me. Uh-huh. Well, we have mixed news. We are so sad to be having to announce that Jesse Harding is leaving the employment of the Rural Radio Network. What? Uh, <laughs> but uh, she is taking the next step in her, what we assume will be an illustrious career. And Joe yeah, wishes the short-term era for us, but we're sorry to see Jesse leave our team. But uh, we'll have her maybe talk a little bit about what she'll be doing and uh, just... For the record, best kept secret away from Dave Schroeder we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Can the you tell us? Yeah. Can you tell us what you'll be doing or where you'll be going? Yeah, I'm not going too far, so no one freak out quite yet. <laughs> I've had some people freak out on me about it, but I'm uh -huh. going to be working in Hastings for the Dvorak Law Firm, and they specialize in corporate law and then estate and succession planning so most of the clients are farmers and ranchers themselves they also have a lot of agriculture businesses so i'm really excited to work with a group that has a focus on agriculture i'm really excited to help producers in a new way so i'll be doing paralegal work out of hastings i'll also be their face of the hastings office there their marketing and being their agriculture export so you're still going to see me at events i'll be going to like farm bureau events and going to cattlemen and and corn growers and all that stuff so i you will still see me around don't worry all right well don't let yourself become a stranger around here okay i won't all right jesse what do we have in headlines well coming up in agriculture news at the twelve thirteen, we have the korea u.s free trade agreement that's something that's been kind of talked about here in the last week or so what the united states is going to do and then we're also going to have an update on hurricane harvey and some of the things that producers are dealing with in texas for the twelve nineteen, joe gangwish is going to be joined with our state climatologist Al Dutcher discussing this week coming up for Husker Harvest Days and what we can expect weather-wise also Hurricane Irma as well. For the newsmaker Brandon Bennett is with Chuck Schroeder the executive director of the Nebraska Rural Futures Institute about the background and what the institute is and does and how they help rural Nebraska and then for the 117 it's going to be Shaley Peters with our Fridays in the field an update from the central part of the state here. Jason sports quickly. I just want to say we're going to miss Jessie. She's we? been a lot of fun to work with. She was great two years ago when Illinois beat Nebraska, and <laughs> she didn't rub our noses in it. So she was cool at that point moving forward with me. What a gal. All right. And uh, Dave. And I, for one, enjoyed uh, uh, Jessie's reports over the years, and uh, she was always uh, a good voice on the air, solid voice, and uh, easy to listen to. And uh, we're going to miss you. Thank you much. Thank you. We're going to miss you, girl. You have a good career, okay? Yes, And whenever you. you get a chance, you come back here. I will, don't worry. You know the door is always open. <laughs> All right, Jesse Harding in her last on-air moments here, live on the Midday from the Rural Radio Network. 
I know that, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover or a hurricane by its name because Harvey sounded pretty innocent. <laughs> Irma sounds like somebody's great aunt. Sure, yeah, exactly. But, nice uh, people. Yeah, I mean, you would think it would name him like Hurricane Bruno, you know. <laughs> there you some, go. So Hurricane Paluca. Uh, Brutus. <laughs> yeah, whatever. But uh, we've got one that's uh, making landfall in Florida, and it's not going to be pretty. No, Category 4 hurricane for South Florida. A kind of a tale of two different situations in weather. Lots of moisture and storminess off to the southeast towards Florida, and here we are, just warm and dry. Yep, I'm sure that they would exchange with us any time. Here no is doubt. your ag information with Paul Perkins, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Yeah, we are looking at here in our area, ridge of high pressure continuing to move overhead over the next several days to give us some mainly dry and warm weather. The exception, a weak disturbance that will track out of eastern Wyoming tonight and increase our threat for some spotty thunderstorms. If we do see any rain, it's not going to amount to a whole lot. The storms may make it tonight as far east as Ord, Kearney, and Cambridge after midnight. That disturbance tracking farther east tomorrow and tomorrow night for the continued risk of, once again, just some spotty thunderstorms. Otherwise, as we head into next week, that high-pressure ridge maintains that dry and warm weather. A chance for thunderstorms may start to arrive as soon as Thursday night. And for the long term, temperatures are forecast to start out warmer than normal the middle of next week and then trend to seasonal. Late next week through September 21st in both Nebraska and Kansas. Now for reference, in central Nebraska, our daytime highs in the middle part of September usually warm to the upper 70s with overnight lows on average in the low 50s. Just that perfect time of the weather, uh, perfect time of the year for weather here in September. And it looks like that will continue to hold here. The precipitation forecast expects Nebraska to see near-normal rainfall the middle part of next week. Then starting to see some chances of above-normal rainfall in Nebraska. Later next week through the 21st, a different story in Kansas. The Kansas precipitation forecast closer to near-normal rainfall the entire period of Wednesday through the 21st. The weather factors driving market trade today include concern about crop damage from Hurricane Irma and limited rain across the central U.S. Extreme damage from Hurricane Irma expected as a Category 4 when it makes landfall in South Florida tomorrow night into Sunday morning. The crops at risk include citrus, sugarcane, and vegetables in Florida and Cuba. So you can look forward to seeing that at the grocery store. Severe flooding, a threat in the southeast that could damage corn, soybeans, cotton, and peanuts. And right now the track of Irma expected to be from South Florida on up to around Georgia, then into eastern portions of uh, Tennessee there. And that's the latest we have on the guidance there over the next several days, probably in the next five days as it continues to weaken when it does uh, move into more land area. But once again, making landfall towards South Florida as the Category 4 is the current forecast. The Delta looks to be mostly dry through this next week as the latest guidance does keep Hurricane Irma away from the Delta. Mild and dry conditions remain in effect across the Midwest through the weekend. No frost in the forecast, but the dry conditions starting to lead to the thoughts of maybe reduced soybean yields. Some early harvest amounts in the western Midwest indicate yields notably lower than a year ago. Conditions in the northern plains favorable right now for the filling and maturing of corn and soybeans. The northern plains also forecast to be free of any damaging cold weather 
in the next 10 days. Just nice and quiet here, just very stormy, unfortunately, off towards the southeast. Yeah, it sure is. Ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. And, boy, I'm looking at some of these very impressive figures that they have from the uh, latest flyby of, uh, their, uh, of uh, Hurricane Irma. And if you know anything about uh, the meteorology behind this, the surface pressure they judge to be 950 millibars right now and 124 knots uh, surface level wind out there on the Bahamas where they have just, I, I think, what, they have nine people who have been reported dead. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, some of those Caribbean islands just leveled the buildings, you know, because in Florida they're going to have a little more of that hurricane weakening as it moves across land, but, you know, those smaller islands didn't have that benefit. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, that's going to have an effect on some of your commodities. Those beets and those citrus fruits are going to all uh, take a beating, I'm sure. When you need weather anytime, you can go to krbn.com. Agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. The U.S. beef industry says if President Trump withdraws from the U.S. from the Korea-U.S. free trade agreement, millions of dollars and thousands of jobs will be lost through the Midwest and other regions. As the president tries to appeal the blue-collar workers in the Rust Belt who voted for him, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association tells the White House getting rid of chorus will also be a job killer in the heartland. NCBA's trade advisor Kent Backus says NCBA told the president and his staff it's not just urban manufacturing that's on the line with this trade agreement. Our free trade agreement uh, went into effect before our leading competitors, Australia, before their agreement went into effect, that gives us roughly about an 8% tariff rate advantage over the Australians for the next 10 years. U.S. beef sales in number two buyer Korea are up over 80% or around $1 billion under the trade agreement as tariffs moved to zero over 10 years, but there's more. From Texas all the way to the Dakotas and from uh, Pennsylvania to California, you're going to see this this impact if we walk away uh, from uh, the Korea Free Trade Agreement. Uh, this hits all segments of production. Backus says that the Koreans have no incentive to keep that and could even raise the levy on U.S. beef back to the pre-trade agreement 40%. Backus says his industry fears that NAFTA-style renegotiations of it could result in gains for other sectors at the expense of farm trade. In Fridays means it's time this week for another Fridays in the Field update. This week we head to central Nebraska where Shaley Peters has an update for us. While the corn and soybeans here are starting to turn and things have changed quite a bit from a month ago, the irrigation wells are still running and grower Ben Peters says cooler weather has delayed things just a bit. The corn, uh, I think we're probably done irrigating most of that. Uh, the starch line is working down. It hasn't moved a whole lot uh, with the cooler temperatures we've had, but I think the next week or so when it warms back up, it'll, it'll start drying down pretty good. Uh, soybeans, I watered all of those again this week. Um, I'll probably go out Monday with soil probe and probe the top three feet and see how full the profile is. We'll kind of go from there. I've got one field I planted uh, early that's a 2-3 soybean that is turning pretty good right now, so I think I'm probably done with those. But uh, the 2-8s uh, and 2-9s and stuff, I'll probably water those again, I think. For all of our Fridays in the field, audio and video from growers around the state, you can visit RuralRadio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaley Peters. 
Texas agriculture officials fear thousands of cattle have died in the aftermath of Harvey, resulting in losses to ranchers of tens of millions of dollars. The counties that sustained damage where Harvey first came ashore on August 25th were home to 1.2 million head of cattle, representing one in four of all beef cows in Texas, the nation's largest producer. But agriculture economists don't expect the losses to affect the price of meat. And Congressman Jeff Fortenberry this week introduced a bipartisan Farm to School Act to enhance the United States Department of Agriculture Farm to School Grant Program. The bill covers a range of dynamic new options for schools and expands participation of the program to include preschools, after-school programs, and summer food service sites. More information about any of these stories can be found anytime online at RollRadio.com. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Here on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Joe Gangwish. Let's get our weekly weather update with Al Detcher, Ag Extension Climatologist at the University of Nebraska. Well, Al Husker Harvest Days is here. Are we going to put together a nice stretch of weather? Boy, it sure looks that way, and that's kind of a rarity for that event. Usually we have to deal with some type of inclement weather during the three-day event, but it looks like to me that uh, primarily we're going to be under the influence of high-pressure system aloft, and we should have temperatures that are going to be what I would consider fairly nice for Oscar Harvest Days. We'll probably be looking at temperatures primarily in the mid-80s during the day hours and dropping down to the upper 50s to possibly low 60s during the morning hours. So we'll start out cool. We'll warm up, pleasant, little bit of wind. Doesn't look like we have much in the way of any opportunities for precipitation during this next seven-day period. The vast majority of the precipitation that is being forecasted for our region really falls within the next 48 hours as we do see at least a slight chance of thunderstorm and shower activity developing primarily during the afternoon hours of Saturday through essentially Sunday evening. And really it is with the northern part of the state that has the best odds as we do see a slight wind shift moving across the Dakotas, and that may trigger off a few showers, but we're dealing with a very dry atmosphere at the surface, and so a lot of the energy that will go for precipitation will go to wetting the atmosphere up and probably will not see much of it make it to the surface. I think the big issue that everyone will be following, of course, is Irma and whether or not it is going to follow the current path trajectory put out by the National Hurricane Center, which is to basically ride just north of the Cuba coastline toward the northwest, and then as we go into late tonight and tomorrow, we start to see it make a turn, if the models are correct, taking it right through the center portion of Florida. Now, that being said, one of the things that I've been noticing this week is that with each model run, we've been basically seeing a more southward drift to this system. So the ultimate question is, where does it make its north turn? And if this system is able to maintain its present trajectory far enough into the future, uh, we may see that turn occur a little later, and there is some hints by some of the uh, U.K. models that, indeed, we may see a more western drift to this system, meaning that instead of going up central Florida, the outside possibility is it goes up the western coast of Florida and then into the southeastern United States. Um, you know, it, this system is a very strong system. It has weakened. It's going to be a very strong storm regardless of what the ultimate track is, and Florida is going to take the brunt of the punishment. But there's more of a concern as a western 
moisture track is how much of that moisture makes it up into portions of the eastern corn belt. In the current trajectory, it takes the system up into Tennessee and Kentucky, weakens it, and then lifts it off into the northeastern United States as the trough moves over the Great Lakes and deepens. If this takes a little bit farther westward track, we may see that precipitation shield make it more into the western portions of the eastern corn belt and the eastern portions of the central corn belt, which would take it into Illinois, Indiana, and then up through Michigan and out into the Hudson Bay region. So there is some discrepancies. This will probably be resolved over the next 24 hours, but this is going to be the newsmaker over this weekend, and this is where the real action is. We would expect to see a significant moisture across the southeastern United States, particularly the Carolinas, Georgia, Alabama, and the eastern portions of Kentucky and Tennessee, with lesser impacts to the northwest of there if the hurricane presently, as forecast, it maintains that status and comes up through central Florida. That's Al Dutcher, Ag Extension Climatologist from the University of Nebraska, with an outlook for Husker Harvest Days and an update on Hurricane Irma. This is the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time for Sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, the Nebraska-Oregon football game is still on, despite the smoke and fires that are affecting the Pacific Northwest. Kickoff tomorrow is set for 3.30 Central Time. In college football action last night, UNK lost on the road to Emporia State 45-13. to Fort Hayes State had an impressive victory over Central Missouri, winning that one 35 to 6 and Northwest Missouri held off Washburn 20 to 14. A Division II college football action tomorrow. Wayne State hosts its home opener against University of Mary. Iowa made it painfully obvious how far Iowa State has fallen behind in its Big Ten rivals last season, whipping the Cyclones by 39 points. Iowa State and second-year coach Matt Campbell are eager to show the visiting Hawkeyes tomorrow that they've closed the gap. The Cyclones have won three out of their last four games dating back to the end of last season, including a 42-24 victory over Northern Iowa last week. Ohio State's game against Oklahoma tomorrow will feature two potential Heisman Trophy candidates and quarterbacks J.T. Barrett and Baker Mayfield. The marquee battle will probably be in the trenches when the Sooners have the ball. Oklahoma's five returning starters on the offensive line are gearing up to face the Buckeyes' rebuilt defensive front. Now, Florida State and Florida have canceled their matchups tomorrow because of Hurricane Irma. 10th-ranked Florida State was set to play Louisiana Monroe, and 22nd-ranked Florida was scheduled to face off against Northern Colorado. The storm is also affecting games involving Florida teams outside the top 25. South Florida and Yukon called off its game at Connecticut because of travel concerns, and Miami decided not to travel to Arkansas State. There were big plays all over the field. The Chiefs, not the Patriots, were making them. Alex Smith threw a couple of long touchdown passes, and rookie Kareem Hunt, after fumbling on his first NFL carry, scored three times to help Kansas City stun New England last night, 42-27. It was the first time the Patriots lost at Gillette Stadium when leading in half. That was a span of 82 games. The Husker volleyball team will host undefeated UCLA tonight. The two teams will turn around and play again tomorrow night. In baseball, the Dodgers are in danger of matching their worst skid since May of 2013 if they lose to the Rockies. L.A. has dropped seven straight, and the latest was perhaps the most disheartening. 
Colorado smacked around ace Clayton Kershaw en route to a 9-1 victory. The Diamondbacks can stretch their club record winning streak to 14 games in the opener of a set against the Padres. The run includes six victories over the NL West leading Dodgers, and Arizona even led for 97 consecutive innings. That's the second longest span in the majors since 1900. And Mike Clevenger and the Indians try to extend their winning streak to a franchise record 16 games. They start a series against Baltimore tonight in Cleveland. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly sunny in Nebraska today, but a slight chance of afternoon thunderstorms in the panhandle. Highs generally in the 80s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Well, developing news at this hour, Republic County, Kansas Sheriff Ron Blad reports that 24-year-old Zachary Barnes was apprehended without incident this morning south of Cuba, Kansas, by the Republic County Sheriff's Department. An accomplice, Shannon Dace, is still being sought. Sheriff Blad earlier posted to Facebook that yesterday the Republic County Sheriff's Office received information regarding three individuals possibly wanted in connection with the homicide in Kansas City. The information was confirmed. Sheriff's officers went to Scandia, Kansas to conduct surveillance on a residence where the three subjects were reportedly staying. But before officers arrived, Barnes and a female subject identified as Shannon Dace left the area. Pike Valley Schools in the city of Scandia were put into lockdown procedures as a precautionary measure. Officers did make contact with a third subject, Cody Allison, he was detailed for the U.S. Marshal Service and later charged with a felony warrant and is being held on those charges. It was later learned that Barnes and uh, Dace were taken to a residence in Belleville, Kansas. Officers responded to that area and locked down the surrounding neighborhood. Republic County schools and other places of businesses were placed on lockdown for their safety. The wanted subjects were not found in the residence or the Belleville area, but then law enforcement received information that the subjects had been taken to Concordia, Kansas. Later, it is reported that they were in Republic County in the areas of Cuba and Agenda, Kansas. Both Barnes and Dace are severe diabetics, according to Blad. It is believed that they were looking for a vehicle to leave the area. Anyone with information on Dace's whereabouts is asked to call 911. She is described as a white female with reddish-brown hair and thin build. Again, murder suspect, 24-year-old Zachary Barnes, apprehended this morning without incident south of Cuba, Kansas. Meanwhile, an earthquake has rattled parts of northern Oklahoma and southern Kansas. The U.S. Geological Survey reports a magnitude 3.9 quake struck about nine miles southeast of Medford, Oklahoma last night. No injuries or damage was immediately reported. Medford is more than 90 miles north of Oklahoma City. We want your news, video, and photos. Tip us under the News tab at krvn.com. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network talking with Chuck Schroeder. He's the founding executive director of the Rural Futures Institute here in Nebraska. Chuck, tell us a little bit about and give us the background of the Rural Futures Institute. The Rural Futures Institute is a creation of the University of Nebraska. 
designed to function across all campuses as well as with the many partners of the University of Nebraska to try to address the very complex challenges and opportunities that face rural communities, not only in Nebraska, but in the Great Plains across the country and around the world. We're an organization that understands and believes, quite honestly, in the value and the potential of rural people and places, again, especially here in Nebraska, which is our home and where we have the greatest collection of resources. But we try to connect rural people uh, to the latest innovations, the latest research, the latest knowledge that they might apply to meet the particular goals of their community. Chuck, give us a little bit of an idea about your background and how you became that founding executive director. I grew up uh, on a ranch at Palisade, Nebraska, right down in the southwest corner of the state. I uh, attended UNL. I got a a degree in animal science uh, in 1973. I went back to our home operation after my graduation here at UNL. I was there for 10 years. The ag crisis of the 1980s came along, and I thought rural people were being kicked around in ways that uh, weren't fair. So I got involved in politics, ran away and joined the circus, I think my father said. But uh, I became director of agriculture during that time period. From there, I uh, went to the University of Nebraska Foundation. I served as their executive vice president for about nine years. Then I was the founding CEO of what is now the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, headquartered in Denver, Chicago, and Washington, D.C. I was there for seven years, getting that organization off the ground. Then I went south to Oklahoma City. I became the executive director of the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum. I was there for 12 years. I was then part of a planning process here at the University of Nebraska that led to the creation of the Rural Futures Institute. I I really had no intention of coming and running the darn thing, but J.B. Milliken and Ronnie Green gave me that opportunity to be the founding executive director, and so I came here to do that in December of 2013. So I've had a a long and colorful ride, and uh, I feel like each of those stops along the way really have prepared me for the very complex issues that we are addressing now through the Rural Futures Institute. Brandon Bennett's with the Rural Radio Network, talking with Chuck Schroeder. He's the executive director of the Rural Futures Institute of Nebraska. Chuck, give us some examples of how the Rural Futures Institute has helped rural Nebraska since its inception not too long ago. That's the key issue. We do try to work on the ground with real people on real-world issues in communities. So, For example, we started our RFI student serviceship program about five years ago. Actually, it started just before I arrived. In that program, we connect very highly talented, high-capacity University of Nebraska students whom we train. We connect them with community leaders that are trying to go from where they are to where they'd like to be with their communities. So far, we've had 21 communities across Nebraska participating. We've had 40 students involved. It's resulted in an estimated over $300,000 total economic impact for those communities. In addition, Brandon, we sponsor research and teaching programs through our competitive awards program. We have spawned 50 projects now involving 112 communities in Nebraska as well as other Great Plains states that have collaborated with us. Those projects have addressed a very broad range of issues from health care to 
housing to economic development, leadership, entrepreneurship, diversity uh, in our communities, uh, you name it, we've, we've been involved in some ways addressing those issues that are perplexing for uh, rural communities today. In addition, uh, we have sponsored regional rural forums where we've gone into six different communities across Nebraska and worked with people from across the age and diversity spectrum in those communities to address critical issues that are important to those communities. Leadership, business transition, economic development, how do we market our community to new visitors? How do we welcome new residents to our community? We've also tried to bring in the best of the best from around the world. Jim Covey from the Institute of Resilient Regions at the University of Southern Queensland in Australia. Roberto Gallardo from Purdue, their Center for Regional Development. The Japan Society is coming to visit us in October to develop a plan for revitalizing the rural sector in that very, very interesting country. So we've had an opportunity to work with interesting people uh, near and far and uh, we believe that we're having an impact on the ground. Chuck, the last word is yours. What else would you like people, especially in rural Nebraska, to know about the Rural Futures Institute? We really want to encourage communities across Nebraska, Brandon, to apply for our 2018 student serviceship uh, experience. They can contact us via our website, which is Rural Futures, all one word, dot Nebraska dot edu. They can find the application there as well as looking at uh, a lot of other things that we're doing here at the Institute. We think it's important that people, both rural and urban, come to recognize the importance of our rural sector and the vitality of Nebraska and the vitality of America. We don't believe America can thrive until its rural sector thrives as well, and we're in the business of promoting that. That was Chuck Schroeder, the founding executive director of the Rural Futures Institute of Nebraska. With the Rural Radio Network, this is Brandon Bennett. Back on the Rural Radio Network, let's get a review of this livestock futures trade from Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yes, sir. Well, a nice uh, finish for the week. Uh, We have higher closes for the week in cattle feeder cattle, and hogs. So not a bad way uh, to end the uh, end the week. Um, over in the cattle, boy, they were the leaders today. They uh, uh, came out, started a little bit lower, and then uh, turned right around, started a rally, and uh, kept the rally up uh, throughout the remainder of the day. Uh, cutouts were basically just a tad higher at noon. That helped. Uh, haven't really heard of any uh, significant trade taking place. So uh, if anything takes place, it'll certainly be uh, after the close. So, uh, But a, a positive week, like I said, a weekly higher close and uh, uh, sets up for uh, maybe some kind of continuation in the next week. We'll have to wait and see. In the hogs, uh, same thing. Started out lower uh, and came on uh, late. Uh, with a nice little rally, uh, despite the fact that cash seemed to be uh, a little bit on the soft side. But the fact is that the future still at a very good discount uh, to the index, despite the fact the index is coming down. And uh, we just had, uh, I think, what I would call some short covering uh, taking place to uh, bring uh, the uh, 
index and the futures closer together and ends up with a higher close for the week. So positive all the way around. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Dewey Nelson reporting on the Rural Radio Network. It's time again this week for Fridays in the Field, a weekly segment featuring growers from across Nebraska. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and we're back this week in central Nebraska with grower Ben Peters. And Ben, as we look around here, things have certainly changed since the last time I talked to you. Uh, the corn and soybeans definitely starting to turn now. Give us an update on where you're at. Yeah, the, the corn, uh, I think we're probably done irrigating most of that. Uh, the starch line... It's working down. It hasn't moved a whole lot uh, with the cooler temperatures we've had, but I think the next week or so, when it warms back up, it'll it'll start drying down pretty good. Uh, soybeans, I watered all of those again this week. I'll probably go out Monday with soil probe and probe the top three feet and see how full the profile is. We'll kind of go from there. I've got one field I planted uh, early that's a 2-3 soybean that is turning pretty good right now, so I think I'm probably done with those, but uh, the 2-8s, uh, and two nines and stuff. I'll probably water those again, I think. Now, you talked about irrigation. You are still irrigating, but starting to slow down a little bit, maybe see a light at the end of the tunnel. How much longer will you be irrigating here? Well, like I said, we had a couple inches of rain. I can't remember exactly when that was. After that, we had some real cool temperatures for a while, so the corn really wasn't using any water. And even this last week, early this week, I was out with the soil probe checking stuff uh, because according to the starch line you know I thought maybe I needed to water it once more but even on the sandier ground we've still got plenty of moisture in the top three feet like I said I think we're done there and like I said I think with the beans I'll do the same with the beans this week but I think you know maybe one more shot on the beans I think should get most of them. Now talking about those soybeans you mentioned that one field that's really starting to turn already otherwise things are pretty green but talk about once they start to turn they they get right after it. Yeah, like that one field I've got, the those two, three soybeans, they were real green on a Thursday or Friday, and then by Monday they had already started getting pretty yellow. Um, and they're, they're just maturing. I had them in a test plot last year, and they matured really quickly like that also. So, uh, and we are starting to see some of the later beans are starting to turn a little bit, not much. I would guess with the higher temperatures over the weekend and into next week, they'll start turning. Uh, usually Oscar harvest days is kind of when they start turning, it seems like kind of in that time frame, which is next week. So I think we're kind of, we're about on track with soybeans, I think. Now, the last time we talked to you, you had mentioned some dicamba damage in your soybeans. What's your update there? Yeah, those beans, um, they still look like they're going to be pretty decent. They are taking longer to, they took longer to fill pods. They're taking longer to mature. And on those beans, um, on just about every plant, you can find a pod or two that will have, it looks like a three bean pod, but only maybe two of the beans filled. Uh, there's a lot of one bean pods, uh, and there's a lot of just flat pods. Um, and there's some that it's kind of hard to explain without a picture, but they kind of look like um, they're just curled up at the end. Uh, so I'm not real sure. I mean, like I said, they still look like they're going to be decent beans, but I think we definitely lost some yield there. So. And then finally, the next time we talk, you'll probably be into harvest. So as this growing season slows down, comes to an end, talk about how you feel with this season overall at this point. It feels good to be on this side of it finally. Summer, especially when you're irrigating, just kind of seems to drag on and on and on. So it feels good to get onto this side of it where we start picking up pipe and parking pivots and, and that kind of stuff. So. 
All right. Thanks so much, Central Nebraska grower Ben Peters, for this week's Fridays in the Field. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Now, there's a lot going on as we end a trading week. There's a lot of uncertainty out there as well, given the fact that you've got a hurricane following a hurricane. You've got uh, wildfires. You have uh, Revolutionary Day tomorrow or so in North Korea. So there's a lot of ifs in this market, and it appeared that traders were reluctant to trade. Yeah, in the markets that we're talking about here, uh, wheat, corn, and beans, there wasn't a lot of activity really this week. Uh, you know, five, six, seven cent ranges, which is, you know, coming from where we've been. I, I think markets just trying to find a balance here. Um, the bulls don't want to get too ahead of themselves, considering I don't think there's a big belief in the USDA they're going to come off these numbers, even though the expectations by the end of the year will be lower. They think maybe that'll happen in the October report. Um, the soybean side is really tied between, you know, bigger supplies globally versus smaller or I'm sorry better demand you know locally so you have a, a real kind of dichotomy there on the bean side uh, I throw in the fact that the producer is very undersold here so any rallies that we get I think the speculators are trying to jump and get ahead of that but again I think this this storm and what's going to come from it as far as weather changes certainly could be uh, something worth, worth monitoring. I know some traders really got into it for orange juice and maybe cotton just because of of the hurricane, I, you you sense that as well. Oh, absolutely! I mean, that's, I've become an OJ expert. I mean, we're going to talk about. <laughs> you know, it's amazing how quickly people want my opinion on things I have nothing, no clue about. And, uh, it's 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 a emotional market. It's an emotional time. I think you know, looking at a market like cotton, the, the ramifications from a cotton run up could be more or really less acres from wheat, and we're already going to see that anyway. But I think a lot of these southern producers who have gotten away from cotton in the last really decade are starting to look at the the, the writing on the wall and saying, hey, there isn't a lot out here that's making money. We're going to jump back in here with two feet. And so that could, in the long run, help help wheat acreage and come down and maybe put a bottom factor in there. And then also for soybeans as well, as we're going to have less double crop production. But shorter term here, it's you know it's about money flow. And I think we've seen the shorts come in, and, and they did their thing two weeks ago. Now the longs have gotten, gotten their kind of ground back, so to speak. And we're right back at this 360 level. And do, if you recall, you know, really between Thanksgiving and the 4th of July almost, we, we were just 360 to 380, 360 to 380. And as these contracts came up for delivery, they just rolled on to 360. So my advice to folks is look at your JFM deliveries, get ready for that. If we get a rally here and say puts December at 370, you might be able to sell some JFM around 390, which is what I would take. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com.